My name is Nathan. I'm the minister here, lead minister here, and it's so good to be with you. If you're new, I'm still new here, and I would love to get to know you and, and talk to you. We're in the middle of this series called You Matter, and before I get into announcements in just a moment, I'm going to tell you, it's going to feel like a hard left turn today, um, but the conversation we're about to have is going to be very, very important, and I'm going to say this. You're going to be tempted in a little while for half of you or more to say, this doesn't involve me, but my, my, my plea to you is, yes, it does in more ways than you think. But let me get to that a little bit. Right now, I want to talk to you about something coming up, our next series. This series is almost over. After next week, we are done with this series, and we're moving into our new series called Habits, and we're going to start that October 16th. And Habits series is going to look at different habits that sabotage our lives, different habits that we may have that we need to break, and we'll look at the the science behind habits and how our life is really formed up of different habits. So that starts the 16th. And to go with that, we want to help you create a new habit as well. So we have something that we're going to start called table groups. And those will be on October 19th. You can see it on the screen there. And what table groups are, are they're going to be the table groups, literally, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about these habits on a Sunday. And then on Wednesday, we're going to get get together at the church with a table group. And we're going to talk about those that service and that habit a little bit more. And this is for everybody. And I would really encourage anybody who's looking to go deeper in their faith to sign up for this. And so what we'll do is we'll have these groups and we'll talk about them. It'll be kind of like an introduction to life groups. So maybe you've been thinking about life groups or joining one and what it looks like. This would be a great time to come. Maybe your life group has got out of the habit of meeting. It would be another great time to bring your entire life group to this on October 19th. And we'll do this for six weeks. But here's what we need you to do. If this is something you're interested in, we need you to pre-register. Pre-registration helps us serve you better. And you can pre-register two ways. At revolutioncc.org, at the table groups tab, or in the, in the app, in the, the connection section of the app, you can fill out your pre-registration. But please, please do that, and we will enjoy that. It'll be a great time. It'll be fun. There'll be laughs. There'll be seriousness. But it's a great thing that we're going to do on Wednesday night, starting October 19th, as a church. All right. So are you guys ready today to kind of change directions? If you are, I need you to put your hands together real quick, because this is the most pumped you're going to be, all right? And so stay with me. I want want to start with a question or kind of a story. A couple years ago, I was at a conference, and one of my favorite speakers of all time got up to the stage, and I noticed something right away. He was way shorter than I ever imagined he was, but he got to the stage, and he asked this question. He goes, what breaks your heart? And I want you to think about that. What breaks your heart? initially how my mind works I start thinking like what breaks my heart I'm like man how much money I had to spend to come to this conference just to hear you speak that's a lot of money and I started thinking about like man how LeBron had just lost in the finals again I'm like man that breaks my heart and then now I think like what breaks my heart gas prices breaks my heart like and then I, I quickly realized he, he could not care about any of that and so he framed the question with this what breaks your heart meaning what has God put on your heart God, had, God didn't send you here to do everything. God didn't create you to do everything, but he created you to do something. You don't have to do everything, but you have to do something. So what breaks your heart? What, what breaks your heart when you think about it? What, what energizes you? Like if you could change something in the world, what is the thing that you would change? And he says, what breaks your heart? Without hesitation, something came to my mind right away. My answer was this, the next generation. My heart breaks for the next generation. My heart breaks for a generation growing up that's more depressed now at a younger age than ever before. My heart breaks for a generation that's growing up in a world that's hostile towards Christianity. My heart breaks for the next generation. So I, I think I should probably give you a little bit of context into that, that answer. I started 
my ministry, my ministry life, when I got into ministry, I thought I'd be a youth minister for a long, long time. God had other plans, but I started in youth ministry. So I started and I grew a youth group and we had an awesome time there. I coached for seven consecutive years right out of college basketball, right? I coached basketball in the junior high and the high school. I'm now a dad, so my heart breaks for the next generation. In student ministry, uh, I remember late night phone calls with students who, who didn't know where to turn to, but their parents were getting a divorce and their world was falling apart. I remember coaching students, and I love coaching students. You know what makes coaching difficult? It's not the kids, y'all. It's you guys. It's the parents, right? That makes it hard, right? That's what makes it hard. But I remember the, the, the good time with that and, and having fun with coaching. I remember a family, a, a big burly guy and his wife and their daughter coming to my office, and he's crying right away. And he, he doesn't, he's the type of guy that doesn't cry. And then we start to have conversations, and he, he starts telling me in, what, what's going on. And I learned that their daughter's thinking about committing suicide. Sophomore in high school, thinking about committing suicide. I remember when I got out of student ministry, standing in one of the hardest moments in my entire ministry career, doing a, uh, conducting a funeral of a former student of mine who lost his battle with PTSD and took his own life. But I, I, those are the things that, that break my heart. And I remember the good times, though. I remember the celebrations, the graduations, the birthday parties. I remember getting invited to a kid's birthday party that I thought other adults were going to come to. Later, I found out that I was the only adult invited. So that was fun, hanging out with a bunch of junior hires. I've got to conduct weddings for the next generation. The former students of mine, I got to baptize more students than I count. I love the next generation. And if we were going to do this, if we're going to become a church that lives like people matter, if we're going to live out the, the mission of you matter, we cannot skip next generation. And so I know some of you right now, you don't have kids. You don't have grandkids. You don't want kids. You don't know anybody in next generation. So you're tempted to tune out. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you again, maybe think of it this lens. What type of church did you need when you were growing up? Or what, what type of person or you know, youth groups or youth ministries did you need when you were a teenager or a kid that would have helped you? And so when we, when we have this conversation, now, I want to go to one of my favorite quotes of all time, and it's this. Whoever wants the next generation more will get them. Whoever wants them. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you just do a, soul, a quick study of culture, they want them. TikTok's geared towards them. Clothing ads are geared towards them. Social media is geared towards them. Things are geared towards them. The next generation is wanted by culture, and we have to want them more. So today, we're going to have this conversation what it looks like to live out the next generation matters or why we should. So today, I, I want to start with this. I want to start with this next slide. These are all the different generations and why this is important are there are seven generations up here. And it's the first time in history, to my knowledge, that I could find that seven generations are living in the planet at the same time. Now, there's the GI generation. Some of y'all might be in that generation. There's not as many of them left anymore. And then the newest generation is Generation Alpha. It started in 2010, and it said it will stop in around 2024. So really, the next generation, as we're looking at it, is millennials, we like to think, I'm a millennial, we like to think it's all about us, but we're old now, right? So millennials, right? I know we ruined everything, guys. We get that, right? Millennials ruined everything. But there's millennials. But the generations we're talking about today are Generation Z, so kids born in 1997 and 2010, and Generation Alpha, they were born in 2010, the current. 
And so what happens is we have all these generations living together. And there's some awesome things. That means kids are getting to see their grandparents or their great-grandparents. There's more knowledge that can be passed down. But also what it means as we look at these different generations, it means that we all were born in the same planet, but we've experienced the world drastically different. The world was drastically different in 1924 than it is in 2022, right? The world's drastically different than it was in 1981 than it is in 2002. So we live in this world and we've experienced, we have all these generations living on the same planet and each generation experiences the world differently. And the mistake that we make is we kind of say, hey, how we experience the world and how things were when I was growing up is the way that they've experienced or what they've seen. And that's not necessarily the case. So there's some tension when we're, when we're thinking about all this. There's some good things, but there's some bad things and it's hard to understand, right? And so I was born, in, I'm a millennial. I was born in 19. 90. I'm a, I'm a 90s baby, and I want, to think, I want you to think about this. So this is a little bit over 30 years ago. When I was born, telephones had cords, right? And so you would, like, have these long lines, like, and if you want to get on the phone before cordless phones, you'd have to have, like, this long landline phone, and you'd have to go, like, around the corner so no one could hear you. We had dial-up internet. I couldn't even use my house phone and internet at the same time. Then we had instant messenger. And then, and then when I was in high school, you still had to pay per text, right? And that wasn't that long ago. Today, kids, they don't know what a landline is, right? They don't know what that is, right? They, they don't know anything about that. The world is drastically different than when I grew up, and the world's drastically different than when you grew up. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about these two generations. One, they're called the streaming generation. That means they're, they're technologically advanced to this age and, and period. They're in the most technological um, generation's of all time, right? They can, they're, on, they're streaming on TikTok, they're streaming cable, they're streaming shows, they're streaming everything. They're the streaming generation. It's estimated by Dr. Tom, uh, Tom Gilmore, who studies these generations, he said they receive more than 10,000 messages a day. That could be text messages, some no type of notification, email, everything that they do is on a screen, right? They're the screen generation. So there's, those are some th uh, facts about them. They're also, the, uh, uh, compared to the other generations, they're more open. They're more accepting of other people. They're more accepting of other groups, right? They're, they're open to that. But then there's some alarming things about this generation. That this is a generation that is the fastest to deal with a mental health crisis than any other generation of all time. It is not abnormal for them to face a mental health crisis by the time they're in elementary school. It's not abnormal for them to know a peer who committed suicide. Matter of fact, when we talk about suicide with Generation Z and Generation Alpha, as they are committing suicide or trying suicide at an alarming rate faster than the three previous generations before them. That's sad. They grow up in a world that averages one mass shooting a day. A day. They're growing up in a culture that's much different than ours. In our, in our culture, yes, we would have seen some pushback maybe for being Christian. There's not a day that these kids will not grow up, that will, they will not be categorized and put in a box because of what they believe about gender, sexuality, and other Christian beliefs. They're living in a much more hostile time when it comes to being a Christian than any other generation on this screen. That's what they're facing. And why I tell you that is as we look at that, you can see there's some amazing things about the next generation. They're smart. They're talented. God's got amazing things planned for them. But they're also a generation who's connected more than ever, but they're more lonely than ever before. Dealing with depression and anxiety and all these different types of things. And I think this. 
I think the church, us, should lead the way in showing the next generation that they matter. I think we should be a community that's sold out to making sure the next generation knows that they matter. Matter of fact, I'll say it this way. We have a responsibility. Whether you want to believe it or not, we have a responsibility to show the next generation they matter. We have a responsibility to come alongside parents and help them raise up their kids in, in church in, in godly ways. We have a responsibility to put resources in student ministry and children ministry and the next-gen ministry. And you know what? Some of those big changes are coming. But we have a responsibility to do that. We have a responsibility to let them know that they have a community that they can turn to and come to when they're searching, when they're lonely, when they're isolated, when they no, have nowhere else to go, that they can come to revolution. You know why? Because when they come to revolution, they know something. They know that they matter. And what happens when we don't? You know, what I love about the Bible is the Bible can often be a great, like, uh, warning, warning, do not try this type of thing at times. Like, hey, don't do this. Like, learn from my mistakes. Well, there's an instance in the Bible that I find as a dad, as someone who loves the next generation, some of the scariest verses in all the Bible. It comes from a book called Judges. If you don't know what the book of Judges is, the book of Judges is basically like the Game of Thrones of the Bible, right? There's some crazy things. There's Deborah. There's Samson. There's a, guy, there's a left-handed man who stabs a king who's so fat that his fat goes on over top of the sword. It's crazy, guys. It is a crazy, crazy book in the Bible. But at the beginning of the Bible, it, it, I mean, the beginning of the book, it starts with a man named Joshua. And Joshua took over after Moses, and Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. And Joshua takes over, and they lead the Israelites, and the Israelites are God's chosen people. And he leads them to the promised land, the place they wanted to go. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, and this is what it says after that happened. So all these amazing things have happened. It says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had all seen the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. So I showed that to you because there's a generation who knows what God's done. There's a group of people who have seen God do amazing things. But if you skip down three verses, it gets a little scarier. And after a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither. So they did not know the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, which are the false gods. And they forsook the Lord the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. Why well, I share that with you is there's a generation who saw God do all these amazing things. And they had kids. And their kids heard a little bit about God. By the time their grandkids were raised, there was an entire generation who no longer knew who God was and what God had done. We are one generation away having students and kids who don't know who God is, don't know what God has done. And this is a perfect example. I like to say it this way, they, they witnessed and they went from a generation who witnessed God work amazing miracles to a generation who could care less. Two generations. And it says they did evil in the eyes of God. And two generations, they no longer cared. Two generations, that's not that long. It's like my grandkids not knowing. It's not that long. From one generation who knew God and see God do amazing things to a generation who could care less. That's a warning label for us. And so we, we can see that and say that can be us. So we have to live and we have to act like the next generation matters. 
we got to say, hey, we want to make sure that our, our kids matter. We want to make sure the next generation matters. We want to make sure the next generation knows who God is. And you know, you know what? That's not just a Nathan idea, right? It would be great if that's a Nathan idea. It's actually a God idea. Throughout the Bible, there's sprinkled in, there's little instances where, where it tells us, hey, this is what you do with the next generation. And Jesus came along and he basically said, hey, man, if you make a kid fall away, like bad things are going to happen to you. Don't mess with the kids, right? And, and so God scattered throughout the Bible, little ways that he says, hey, this is how you lead the next generation. This is how you reach the next generation. And one of those is found in Psalm 78. Now, the book of Psalms is a long book, and if you go to the middle of your Bible, it's right there, and you can find it, and, and it's long. And many of these things that you read in the book of Psalms are poems or songs, and they would read them out loud, or they would sing them. They're very emotional. This psalm, again, talks about generations dealing with other generations. So here's how it goes. It says, my people hear my teachings. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from the old. And basically what he's saying in fancy terms is, that, hey, listen up. You need to hear what I'm about to say. You need to pay attention. So here's what he says. Pay attention to this. In the next slide, he says, the things we have heard and known, the things our ancestors have told us. So one generation, ancestors here. We will not hide them from their descendants. They're going to tell their kids, the next generation. And we will teach the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to, even the children yet to be born, and, the, and they in turn would tell their children. There's a lot of ancestors, there's a lot of generation, there's a lot of children, in that, and there's a lot going on. Here's what he's saying, that we have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to tell, to speak, to tell one generation and the next generation and the next generation about the things that God has done in your life, the things that God has done. And I love what he says. He, he doesn't give us a list of rules. You know, I think sometimes when it, when it comes to like parenting or when it comes to leading next generation, like we want to get creative and we want to have all these amazing things. He doesn't give us like, hey, do this and be the perfect parent and have the perfect faith and do this, 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 and this, this. Basically, he tells them, no, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them. I've, I've talked with a lot of you. A lot of you are very good at talking, right? We can do that, right? I'm very good at talking. Like, I can't do a whole lot well, but I can talk for a long time, right? So we, he says, tell them. And I like to say it this way. We have a God story. So what he wants us to do is like, he wants us to tell us our, our God story. We all have a God story. What do I mean by that? Tell them how God's worked in your life. Do you know one of the most powerful things that you have in all of your lives that, that help people in, in their faith is your story. I mean, maybe your, your story is like, hey, what, I, I was living one way, like Rich Baker in his story a couple weeks ago, like I was living one way, then all of a sudden God opened my eyes and s showed me something and I started living differently. Or like my, my marriage was falling apart and then we, we started going to church and started growing in our faith and God saved us. Or maybe your story is like mine, like, hey, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up knowing God. And all of a sudden, God was introduced to me, and it completely changed my life. You all have a God story. You have moments in your life where God has showed up. And the author of this psalm is like, hey, just tell them. Tell the next generation. You don't, have to, you don't have to do much else. Just tell them right now. Tell them of what God has done. So when he's writing that psalm, he's pleading. He's like, listen, tell them about what God's done in your life. Tell them about all the miracles you've seen. Just tell them. Let the next generation know 
who God is and that God has moved in the past. Let them know that God's moved in the past. And more importantly, let them know that God will move in the future. And when you're telling your story, don't leave out the bad parts, right? We, we like to tell our story. We like to tell all the stuff that makes us look good and feel good. No, no. Tell them about all your mistakes, right? And parents, as you're doing that, I'm sure you got a lot of mistakes. Let them know the mistakes, right? Sometimes the, you know, the mistakes that you have, you can tell other people and it can help them avoid the mistakes. But yeah, you know, I got a whole list of mistakes that when Natalie's old enough to listen to me and care, I'm going to tell her, right? And, and I'm going to tell her that God has moved in the past. And you know what, baby girl? God will continue to move in your life. Because the same God who loves me is the same God who loves you. The same God who's worked in my life is the same God that's going to work in your life. We need to tell the next generation. They may feel lonely, they may feel isolated, but God has worked in the past and he will continue to be faithful in the future. And we all have this responsibility. We have a responsibility not to just keep our faith, right? We're good at that, keeping that, but to pass it on to the next generation. How many of you have like family traditions that you pass on from one generation to the next? Anybody? Some of you, okay. Some of you, like, you know, you're sports fans or you got a, a family dish that no one really likes, but you don't know where it came from, but you always make it year after year at Thanksgiving, right? Or you got Thanksgiving traditions that you do or things that you do as a family, maybe a, a family, like, heirloom that you pass down from one generation to the next, right? Maybe you have that. That's kind of what he's talking about. So think of it this way. One day, Natalie's going to be old enough. Um, she's talking now and walking now, but she's going to be old enough to really talk and really walk, and she's going to come up to me one day. And she's going to ask me, she's like, Dad, who is that LeBron guy that you're always talking about? And my eyes are going to start to tear up a little bit. I'm going to start to hold it in. And I'm going to say, Natalie, I have waited your entire life for you to ask me that question. I'm going to go to my closet. I'm going to pick out the perfect LeBron jersey. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to sit her down on the couch next to me. We're going to turn on YouTube. We're going to watch the top 50 plays of LeBron James' career. Then I'm going to pull out the DVD, right? I'm going to have, I have the DVD from the 2012 Miami Heat, the first championship ring he won, and we're going to watch it, right? And then we're going to watch, we're going to, I'm going to tell all the stats. I'm going to say, baby girl, he is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time, right? And I'm going to make sure she knows that, and she's going to care less. That's what he's saying. That's what they're saying to him. He's like, sit your kids down. Talk to them. In Deuteronomy, it says, as you're living life, as you're walking, as you're breathing, as you're doing life, pass on your faith to your kids as you are living out your life. Take it upon you. Say, I'm going to make sure my kids, next generation, my grandkids know who God is, what God has done in the past, what God will continue to do. And why do we do this? Well, here's the why. We do this. In Psalm 78, it continues to say we do this because then they would put their trust in God, that they, in return, would put their trust in God and would not forget, forget about his deeds, but would keep his commands. And they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. We do this so one day, when we're gray in the head and we're sitting back and I'm no longer preaching, I've passed this on to the next generation, and I'm sitting in chairs out here. I have a young person sitting who maybe heard this, and they're up here teaching because we told them about who God was, and we pass on our faith to the next generation. We do this so that they would have their own faith. And parents, 
Isn't that one of the most important things that you want for your kids? That they would grow up knowing who God was and what God can do in their life? Grandparents, isn't it amazing to be able to watch your kids who you grew up, who you told who God was, now raise their kids and who God is? Church, isn't it, wouldn't it be amazing, again, when we're years from now, 20, 30 years from now, that these chairs are full of people and students that we invested in and let them know who God was? Because if we don't, 30 years from now, we'll sit here and these chairs will be empty. Wouldn't it be awesome that when this generation thought, man, I, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I was, thinking about, I was thinking about taking my own life, I was struggling with eating disorder, all these things are, they're facing. They're like, I need somewhere to go and somewhere to turn. You know, wouldn't it be amazing to say, you know where I can turn? I can turn to revolution. Because they, they care for me. That I, I matter to them. And they have ministries in their age and people on staff that they can talk to. That when, when, they're, when they're dealing with sexuality and gender, like, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. That they don't turn to the world for answers, that they turn to us. And we're able to say, you know what, where, you know where your identity comes from? Your identity comes from a God who loves you, who placed value on you. Your identity is not earned. Your identity is placed on you by a God who loves you. That we can answer those questions. Or that we become a church that when, when they have questions, that we don't turn them away and act like they're dumb, that we listen with empathy and sympathy and say, you know what? We had those same questions when you were age, and we're here to answer them for you. What if we were a church where the next generation knew that they mattered, that when they needed somebody of the other generation, of the older generation, that they looked for us besides their parents and their family? And again, I know you may be thinking, this, what does this have to do with me? How does this apply to me? I don't have kids. I don't care about kids. I don't care about student ministries or children's ministries. I don't care about it. I would say this. You never know. You never know how much impact you can have on the next generation with your story, with your life. How many of you have made real, like really, really big mistakes in your life? All right, awesome. You guys are honest. Awesome, right? You made some of these big mistakes. And you know what? Like, I, I, I've learned that sometimes, like I said earlier, your biggest, the greatest thing you can offer next generation was like, hey, I was a really bad example of this. And here's how I can help you, right? Your story can impact the next generation far greater than you think. I'm going to give you a perfect example. There's something called the ripple effect principle. And the ripple effect principle is simply this. It's a gradually spreading influence or series of consequences caused by a single action or event. A single action. So essentially this, this principle works off the idea if you throw a stone in the water, there's a big splash, but there's ripple effects that you can see for a long, long time. So you can look back in your life and you can see the ripple effect. You met someone, you, you got married, you took a certain job, you had a certain mistake, and there's, there's these ripple effects that are caused throughout your entire life. But it started with one moment. In one moment, it causes like this consequences or this action caused by one single moment. I want to share one with you. There's a young man named Tyson Graber who grew up in Washington, Indiana. Around here, you guys may know that, of the home of the Zeller family, right? Washington, Indiana. His name was Tyson Graber. And in the early, to late, the early 2000s to late 90s, he went to Lincoln Christian University, and he studied youth ministry, where he would graduate there. And eventually, he would graduate, and two years after graduation, he moved to a small town called Hersher, Illinois. And he took a position at a church. 
It was a unique position. He was going to be the only full-time staff at the church. They're going to have a part-time teaching ministry minister and a full-time children's minister. And he takes the job. Hershey, Illinois is the middle of nowhere, like not even a stoplight in the town, surrounded by cornfields, right? And so he takes this job and he becomes a sixth grade basketball coach. On that sixth grade basketball team was a skinny, goofy kid with glasses who was, it was not abnormal for that kid to cry at practice because there was so much going on in his life and he had so much frustration. He didn't know how to let it out. And so this was, this was hard for Tyson. He didn't know what to do with this kid. And he could have walked away. He could have said, hey, I'm done with this. He could have cut the kid, but he didn't. He kept the kid on the team and he invited him to church. That young kid went on one Wednesday night and never stopped going. He would go on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. He would ride his bike. He would walk there if he had to. And Tyson and this young kid develop a relationship, a friendship, a mentorship, a relationship that that kid needed. He guided him in faith. He showed him what it looked like to be a Christian. He showed him what it looked like to be a man who was married. He showed him all these things. Eventually, that young kid is baptized. And he's continued to go to church, continue to go to church and serve and serve. And eventually this young kid is able to invite his family. And he's able to watch his brother, his sister, his mom, and his stepdad all get baptized. Probably know who that kid is. The kid's name was Nathan Pelahowski. One single man who I was not his kid. He owed me nothing. But was dedicated to the next generation. So I got to watch my family get baptized. I, I later went on. I graduated college, went to Lincoln Christian University because Tyson went there. But I have a brother who's six years younger than me. He graduates high school looking for somewhere to go to school. He decides to go to Lincoln Christian University because his big brother went there. And Tyson went there. Tyson had a ripple effect on my life like no one else has had. I was not his kid. I was not his problem. I was not his burden, but he cared enough to make me his burden. I'm going to share a picture with you. This is a picture. This is me from a long, long time ago. This is about 12 years old now, 10 years old. But here's my brother right here. I'm the better looking one, as you can tell. This is my roommate from college. And this man right here, who I talk to every day, if not every other day, is Tyson Graber. All these kids from non-Christian homes went on to Bible college, become ministers, because of this guy right here. Don't underestimate what you can do for the next generation. Don't underestimate the impact you can have. Because it wasn't just Tyson. It was a church who cared enough about the next generation and said, we're going to do something abnormal. We're going to hire a full-time youth minister and a part-time preaching minister. Churches don't do that. It was a church that said, we're going to spend all these resources in youth group. And we're going to reach hundreds of kids in that community that, like, that were never reached before. It's the ripple effect. And you don't know right now how, with how you're living, what you're doing, who one day will stand up and say, you know what, my life was changed because someone like Tyson Graber, you, stepped up and it created ripples like they never imagined. So I want to end with, with just two ways today that we can start doing this and how we can start being a church that cares. And the first one is really easy. Be the best example you can be. Be the best example you can be. Be the best that you can be. And what I mean by that is not just as a person, but be the best example of faith you can be. So I've learned a couple things, being a dad and also being a brother that's 16 years older than my youngest brother who has Down syndrome. They copy everything. 
I couldn't say anything growing up as a teenager that Jace would not repeat, right? And Natalie is constantly watching. They're watching you. They're watching how you act. They're watching how you treat people. They're watching your marriage. They're watching to see what you do on Sundays. They're watching to see if you pray or read. They are watching you. And what I believe to be true is, is how you faith, especially parents, you're the greatest theologian in your child's life. How you faith is often how your children will faith. Not always, but often. So be the best example you can be. In 2 Corinthians, it kind of talks a little bit about this. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And every time we're living out our faith, that's planting a seed. Every time you go to church on Sunday, seed planted. Every time you pray before dinner, seed planted. Every time you choose to love your spouse, seed planted. Every time you choose to live like someone matters, seed planted. And over time, the more seeds you plant, the over time, the more seeds you plant, the better, better crop you'll have. And every act of faith they see is sowing a seed. Don't underestimate how much of impact and how much of ripple effect planting seeds can have. So be the best example you can be. And the next one is for the church, all of us. Lead with grace. What I've found is I've gotten farther from the next generation, farther from my 20s, and farther from teenage year. I forgot how dumb I was and how many mistakes I made. And I think what happens is the farther we get from being in the next generation or in teenage years, we forget how dumb we were. And we forget how many mistakes we made. And I remember over and over again these mistakes, and people would meet me with grace, and some people would not meet me with grace. But if we lead with grace, if we let them know it's okay not to have it all together, it's okay to have doubts, it's okay to mess up. You're teenagers, man. You're 16, 17, 18 years old. You're going to mess up. No offense, guys, but you're dumb sometimes, right? We do dumb things, especially guys. But lead with grace. And grace is a far better teacher than judgment, isn't it? The world needs less judgment and more grace. Grace is a far better teacher than judgment. So my promise to you guys, in this next season we're coming into, you'll see resources, energy, and time being poured in the next generation. And next generation, if you're here, as long as I am here, you will matter. You'll be thought about. And you will have someone who is thinking of you. And to be a church that does this, it's hard. It takes sacrifice. It takes, it's willing for us to get uncomfortable. It takes money, right, to, to have the areas we need and staff we need. It takes money. It takes generosity. It takes time. It takes effort. But I want to leave with this question. I'll let you answer it. I'll answer it for myself. What's the faith of the next generation worth? My answer is everything. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. And so thankful that you give us examples of how to lead the next generation. That it, it, we live it out and we talk it out, God. And so I pray that we become a community that our heart breaks for the next generation. And we remember what it's like to be young. And we remember what we needed when we were their age. God, I, I pray we just become this community as we're living out this culture of you matter. That we don't neglect the next generation. Because their faith is worth everything. God, and we will do what it takes to reach them because you did what it takes to reach us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.